Ready to get in the book of Proverbs? Yes. Good, good. Because if you weren't, that's, that's too bad because we're going to be there. So it would be awkward. So we, uh, you, can, you can turn to Proverbs 31 because we're going we're gonna to spend most of our time there. If you're using a blue Bible we provide, that's on page 552. And big news, big news. This morning we are going to conclude our series in the book of Proverbs. Had to happen at some point. Did. Two years and two months ago, we embarked on this journey together. Month after month, we have focused our attention on God's book of foundational wisdom so that we might be instructed and equipped to live our lives according to God's wisdom, which brings glory to God and tremendous blessing to us. So I believe that the most fitting way for us to conclude our series on Proverbs is to address the subject that Solomon addresses in the conclusion of the book. The capstone of God's book of foundational wisdom is his instruction concerning the incredible blessing of an excellent wife. So throughout the beginning of the book of Proverbs, it's made clear that the greatest possession a man can have is godly wisdom. That is the greatest possession a man can have. It is something that he desperately needs and it will benefit him far beyond anything else he could possibly desire. If you remember back in chapter 3, Solomon wrote, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. And at the end of Proverbs, we are shown that second to wisdom, the greatest possession a man can have is an excellent, godly wife. In Proverbs 31, verses 10 and 11, Solomon writes, An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. See the similarity? That statement, more precious than jewels, is used only twice in Proverbs. Only twice. Here, where it is applied to the excellent wife, and in chapter 3, which we just read, where it is applied to God's wisdom. In other words, the value of an excellent wife is like the value of Wisdom, it is beyond comparison. Amen. Proverbs 18.22 says this, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. In other words, a wife, a, a woman who enters into a lifelong covenant of loving companionship with you, is a good and pleasing and gracious gift from God. When God created the first man, Adam, he said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. He took a part of Adam and from it created the first woman, Eve, and he brought her to Adam and Adam rejoiced. 
Thus, the marriage relationship was instituted by God. And it is the bedrock of society. It was established by God at that point for the, for the human race that would come from Adam and Eve, that a man would leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they would become one flesh. And this lifelong relational union between one man and one woman is a blessing of God. And it's important to maintain this biblical understanding of marriage and be committed to doing marriage God's way in order for it to be the wonderful blessing that God intended it to be. If sin and self-centeredness and worldly thinking are not clouding our judgments, then we will certainly agree that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. As we know, after Genesis 1 and 2, there's Genesis 3. Adam and Eve rebelled against God, sin entered the world, and frustrated things. It complicated that relationship, and in our world today, in our fallen world today, we see the outworkings of that, the result of that, the result of sin, the strain it puts on marriage, the destruction it brings into marriage, the perversion of marriage. But we understand that God's original design is the way he intended to be, and thus we want to walk in his wisdom, even as we live in this fallen world. Proverbs 19.14 says, House and wealth are inherited from fathers. Thank you, Dad. But a prudent wife is from the Lord. Thank you, God. When a man is able to find and marry not just any woman, not just any woman, but a wise and God-fearing woman, he has God to thank for such a tremendous, undeserved kindness. It's kindness. After all, the majority, biblically speaking, the majority of women in this world are not wise and God-fearing women, are they? Not all women are wife material. At least good wife material, and you could say the same of men. Not all men, and most men are not God-fearing, godly men. Not all would be husband material and good husband material. Choose wisely. Solomon warns of the perils of marrying a foolish and ungodly woman. Proverbs 12.4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But there is another kind of wife. But she who brings shame... Is like rottenness in his bones. Now, I think it's safe to say that any man with a shred of common sense would want to avoid at all costs the possibility of marrying a woman who is going to be like rottenness in his bones. Start there. Thankfully, thankfully, the final passage in the book of Proverbs describes in greater detail the qualities of an excellent wife, so that young men, who at this point would have been instructed through Proverbs in how to live according to God's wisdom and therefore be wise and godly men, all right, son, now you know what you really ought to be looking for in a woman, because I'm going to put it right here at the end of the book in Proverbs. Remember, the primary audience in Proverbs is the young male, the young male, so it's getting him set up in life, to equip him with godly wisdom so that he may be set up to honor God with his life and do well as he lives rightly 
in this fallen world. And the capstone of that teaching is, now get yourself an excellent wife. Here's what she looks like. This passage, Proverbs 31, 10 to 31, depicts for men the kind of woman that they should hold in high regard. So not just what makes an excellent wife, but it really portrays the kind of woman, the quality of woman that men should hold in high regard and esteem. And this passage also provides for women a feminine model of godliness that they would do well to imitate, to aspire to be like. It depicts for them the kind of woman that they should also hold in high regard and seek to imitate. So a fitting title for this passage would be True Feminine Excellence. That is, feminine excellence according to God's standards, according to God's wisdom. But before we read it, something to note about this passage is actually an acrostic poem, one in which the first letter of each line corresponds to each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So, since the Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters, this poem has 22 lines. So you could say these are the qualities of an excellent wife from A to Z. Or in Hebrew, Aleph to Tau. Solomon gave himself 22 lines to teach us about the kind of wife who glorifies God and is worthy of praise. So that's the structure. 22 lines. Here we go. What can I give godly wisdom on concerning this woman? Verse 10, the first verse. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. And before we continue, let's consider what is meant by the word excellent. The Hebrew word translated here carries the basic meaning of strength and ability. Strength and ability. It is the same word that is used in the phrase men of valor which appears throughout the Old Testament to refer to men who were strong and skillful in battle. What do we have here? A woman of valor. Strength and ability. Strength, however, does not always refer to physical strength, right? We use it in different ways. In the context here, this Hebrew word is referring to moral strength. The strength of character. So if we keep that in mind, then we understand that the kind of woman being described in this poem is one whom God considers to be a strong woman. Which is, when we read it, you'll see, is vastly different from the feminine image that is overwhelmingly projected and celebrated in the secular, Christ-rejecting, God-hating society in which we live. You look at the world, and what does the world tell you a strong woman looks like? It's either a woman who casts off any of her God-given feminine qualities and tries to somehow play the part of being a man or to be a man, as if there's something more empowering about filling that role than being a woman. Or society also shows strong women as those who exude their feminine qualities and flaunt them around and act like trashy men as if that somehow shows that they're strong. That's the world's wisdom. 
So is a defense against the devil's schemes to distort and pollute our thinking on this matter. Let's behold God's description of true feminine strength, the excellent wife. So, verse 10, an excellent wife, a strong and competent wife, who can find she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. An excellent wife is a faithful and trustworthy woman. And we're not going to have time to unpack all the details of every single verse, but what we're going to do is make some observations and again focus on the qualities of feminine strength, feminine excellence that God presents here, the qualities. So an excellent wife is a faithful and trustworthy woman. She is loyal to her husband and deeply committed to loving him all of her days in keeping with the lifelong covenant of companionship that she made with him and vowed before God to uphold. She is devoted to doing him good. And not harm. That's a powerful statement. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Such loving devotion is the foundation upon which a successful and God honoring marriage is built. If you don't have that, everything else will crumble. Now we're going to read the main body of the poem, which gives us a closer look at some of her regular activities. A day in the life of an excellent wife. <laughs> Didn't realize that rhymed, so that's kind of catchy. So we're going to look at verses 13 to 27. Let's read along. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor, and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Now, one thing that you can't possibly miss is that this is a hard-working woman. In fact, her strong work ethic is the quality that is emphasized the most in the entire passage. 
It's a hard-working woman. It's spoken of in nearly every verse in this section. First of all, we see that she is joyful in her work. This is what we can learn about her work. She is joyful in her work. In verse 13, it says that she works with willing hands. Literally, in the delight of her hands. So, in other words, she finds satisfaction in work and is happy to do it. Works with happy hands. Second, she is diligent in her work. She works joyfully and she works diligently. In verse 15, it says that she rises while it is yet night. That's before the sun comes up. Before the crack of dawn. In verse 18, it says that her lamp does not go out at night. Up into the late hours. And in verse 27, it says that she does not eat the bread of idleness. So she works joyfully. She works diligently. Third, we see that she's purposeful in her work. She works purposefully. And this is important to keep in mind, to note. When you read this passage, you see that the purpose of her work, the focus of her work is to benefit and bless her and her husband, their children, and their home. It is to bless and benefit the household, the home. Verses 14 and 15 show that she goes through great lengths to provide food for her household. And her diligent work of spinning and weaving wool and flax ensures that her loved ones are well clothed and that her home is well furnished. And she also also personally enjoys the fruits of her own labor. As verse 22 points out, that she is finely clothed and has made bed coverings for herself. There is reward in her work. It is self-fulfilling, but it is also selfless in serving her home, her household. Fourth, we see that she is resourceful in her work, resourceful in her work. She takes initiative and seizes opportunities to enrich her and her husband's household. Verse 18 says that she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at nights. And verse 24 says that she makes linen garments and sells them. She sells them. So she's, she's willing to go beyond her basic daily responsibilities to produce more when she sees that a profit can be made for the benefit of her household. So she takes initiative. She's a wise and clever woman. She's resourceful. She's not chained to the kitchen sink. Her work takes her outside the home to benefit the home. And according to verse 20, so we've seen her work ethic, we've seen the quality of her work, the nature of her work. And according to verse 20, despite all of that busy work, despite all of that busy work, she is still attentive to the needs of those around her. And she's willing to help. With the same determination that she reaches out her hands to work, as we see in verse 19. In verse 20, look at this. She reaches out her hands to help the poor and the needy. With that same determination. So what does that tell us? She is generous 
and compassionate. Another excellent quality. And verse 26 shows us that she is also a wise woman. She's a wise woman. She is not shallow or ditzy. She has substance. She possesses godly wisdom, and that's evidenced by her speech. No doubt her her husband and children benefit from her godly insight and her gracious speech. Her children are able to learn much from her loving instruction and example. Children are blessed to have such a mother, and husbands are blessed to have such a wife. Because sometimes, I don't know, I, I think this way. My wife's my other half of my brain. Without her, I'm less uh, able to do things well. When she's around, she reminds me of things. She helps me think. She helps me recall things. She helps me think more clearly. That's a good idea, honey. Glad you're here. Wouldn't have thought of that. God bless you. So she's a wise woman. Right? So she is not some workhorse slaving around in the home and just doing some chores and tasks like a servant girl. She is a godly, dignified woman who is an incredible blessing and help to her man. A woman who is faithful to her man and trustworthy, hardworking and resourceful, generous and compassionate. And filled with godly wisdom is a strong and competent woman according to God's standards. Those are the qualities. Such a woman is a blessing to her home and community. And she is worthy of praise. And we see at the end of this poem. In verses 28 to 31. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also. And he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. You do, honey. You do. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Verse 30 here. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Verse 30 is key. If you're wondering... Where, as verse 25 says, this woman's strength and dignity and ability to have a positive outlook on her future come from? They come from her being a God-fearing woman. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it's the foundation for godly character that brings tremendous blessing. The fear of the Lord. She's a God-fearing woman. Now, notice that nothing is said. In this entire poem of this excellent wife's physical appearance. Really? Nothing is said of her physical appearance. Physical beauty can certainly be appreciated, right? I mean, we can, we can appreciate beauty. And if you've read Song of Songs, there's a celebration of the attraction that these two... Companions have for one another in their courtship and anticipating the day of their marriage. So there's a celebration of physical beauty. It's to be appreciated. But physical beauty is not like the enduring qualities mentioned in this poem. In fact, the lack of the qualities mentioned here will tarnish any physical beauty a woman may have. Proverbs 11.22 says... 
Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Society and culture puts a high premium on the external, the physical appearance. Dressed up, adorned, oh look at this pretty thing, this wife, good pretty wife, trophy wife. You've blessed your husband so well because you look so pretty. And yet, if she lacks the qualities mentioned here, God help that man when he marries her. And again, ladies, we can talk, say the same thing about men. So, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion, but on the other hand, possessing these praiseworthy qualities in Proverbs 31 will adorn a woman and give her a beauty that endures throughout life. That will endure in marriage. What happens to physical beauty? It fades. And charm, you know, praising a man, perhaps flattering him sincerely maybe, complimenting him, sure, working charm, well, that can be deceitful. And at the end of the day, a man is not going to be happy for the rest of his life if he marries a woman and that's all she has to give. Charm him every now and then, look pretty for him. How's that going to bring blessing? He's not going to be saved as well with my soul. At least she looks nice on the outside. Gravity will take effect. The curse of sin will take effect. To dust we are returning. God puts a high premium on godliness. Surely much more could be said about this woman. Much more. We wouldn't be wrong to assume that she possesses many other praiseworthy qualities. But the ones that are included in this poem are the rare and godly qualities that make her extraordinary. These are the qualities that make her extraordinary. She's a woman who fears the Lord. And this God-centered attitude is what drives her towards being a strong, loving, faithful, trustworthy, hardworking, generous, compassionate, and wise woman. And here's a final thought for us to consider in this, this poem here. Look at verse 23. It says this. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. The statement tells us that the husband of this excellent wife is a prominent leader in the community. Okay? Now, with the spotlight being on the wife throughout the entire poem, this verse does kind of seem to come out of nowhere. It seems like it's just randomly dropped in, doesn't it? I mean, you look at on either side of this verse, it's, it's all about the wife and what she's doing. All of a sudden, her husband's known in the gates. He's pretty, you know, he sits among the elders of the land. Why is it there? Given the careful structure of the poem and the fact that it is divinely inspired, we know that it's not just randomly dropped in or there by accident. It has a purpose for being there. And I would suggest that it shows us that the husband, well, he's a hardworking man as well. Should be. Should be. But it shows us that he is able to accomplish much more outside the home because his wife is accomplishing so much inside the home in that realm so the main picture here is that of teamwork it is not the the wife shouldering the entire burden sweating it out busting her butt all day and the man is coming home and like yeah was my dinner 
Okay, yeah. I'm gonna go sit over here, take a break. You know, I had to drive in traffic. It's taxing on me. I know you've been with the kids all day, changing booby diapers and all that, but I'm gonna take a break, honey. Thank God you're excellent. <laughs> so it doesn't, you know, I, I think it's good. It's a safeguard put in here. It's just remind you that it, this is a picture of teamwork. This is marriage. The husband and wife labor together. And they glorify God as one flesh in a realm of influence that extends beyond what they would have on their own. So together, their realm of influence extends far beyond because they were working and co-laboring together by God's design. And this concept of co-laboring to the maximum effect is exemplified in another way. And I want to show you this. I think this will be helpful to, to understand the kind of role that this, this, this woman is fulfilling in marriage as a wife. Exodus 18, 21 to 23. And what we're going to see here, you see that, that first part of that saying, moreover, look for able men. You know that word able? It's the same word that's translated as excellent in Proverbs 31. Right? Strength and ability. Competence. So, these are excellent men. They are strong and able. Strength of character. So this is Moses' father-in-law giving him counsel on how he's to govern, basically like two million people. Yeah, doing it yourself, you're probably going to kill yourself. You're probably going to die. You kind of need some help. So here's Jethro's advice to Moses. Look for able men from all the people. What makes them able? Men who fear God, who are trustworthy, and hate a bribe. Similarities, right? And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them... Judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you. But any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you. And they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure. And all this people also will go to their place in peace. You see the similarities? This idea of co-laboring together. And, and I want to show you that because it, the role of a wife in marriage is a dignified role. It is, it is to be thought of as in marriage, the husband and wife, it is king and queen of the realm. They labor together. And she, being a gift from God, makes the work of managing that home and building a life far easier and more successful and here's some New Testament instruction that is consistent with what Proverbs 31 presents for us. And again, helping us understand the nature of these roles in marriage. So in Titus 2, we see Paul writing, and he explains what young women are to be taught by older women who have done so themselves. So again, we're just not in Old Testament, ancient Israel land. We're going to come on over to the New Testament, the church, which still speaks to us today. And obviously there are cultural differences. I know that maybe some of you do knit work, right? Maybe a little knitting or something. You work with fabrics, don't you? Okay, yeah, well, you left me hanging there. 
So, but again, we understand that what we're looking at are the qualities, the enduring qualities. It's not, Proverbs 31 is not telling you, you know, wives that they just need to knit their gar the garments for their household and stuff like that, right? We're looking at the, the qualities that endure that fit even into our context today. So we look at this New Testament instruction, which is, is for the church, for young women. What are young women to be taught by older women? Well, Paul writes this. Titus 2.1, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. He's, he's, he's mentioning that to Titus. And then in verse 3, he, this is in accord with sound doctrine. What is it? Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to what? To love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. And a similar instruction is over in 1 Timothy in 5.14. Paul writes this to Timothy. So I would have younger widows, and again, speaking for younger females who, whose husbands have passed away, uh, what are they to do? And his counsel is that they would marry, bear children, and manage their households. And give the adversary no occasion for slander. And there's that statement that they would manage their households. Keep that in mind. Now I want to show you something. So that was the instruction for young women. That's what they should be striving to do. That's how they glorify God and honor Christ in their lives. And they can do that in many other ways. But these are priorities. First Timothy 3, 2-4. through Let's look at some instruction to men. I want you to see something. This is where the qualifications for an elder in the church, an overseer, are listed, as well as the qualifications for uh, deacons in the church. Well, listen to these qualifications. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Here we go, verse 4. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. And then look at verse 12. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households as well. So what does this show us? I mean, these are the qualifications. You want to be a leader in the church, this is, these are the qualifications for you. And it shows that the you know, we look at all these, a lot of these are qualities. A lot of these are character uh, attributes. But there's, there's one here in these lists, there's one activity that they're to be exemplifying or practicing, and it is managing their household. That's the only activity, ongoing activity, that's mentioned as a qualification. Hospitable, not drunker, gentle, those things, but you're managing your own household, Right? So what this shows is that the management of one's household is an extreme, it's extremely important in God's eyes. And it's a man's primary responsibility. It's the man's primary responsibility. He is the head of the home, so the buck stops with him. His wife, if she is a godly woman, she'll fulfill her role as his loving companion and helper and labor alongside him in managing the household you see so it's not just a that's your job i you know i work i bring up a paycheck 
You manage the house, and uh, the man's job is managing the home. And the wife co-labors with him in accomplishing that task. But it's ultimately the husband's responsibility. This is why a man should seek to marry a godly woman and in marriage to cultivate godliness in his woman by means of his spiritual leadership and godly example. So we see uh, one proverb to consider is Proverbs 14.1. The wisest of women builds her house. Not because that's entirely her responsibility, but because she has come alongside her husband to co-labor with him in the task of building the home and managing the home, which is ultimately his primary responsibility. But she's a helper suitable for him, a blessing. That's the wisest of women. She builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down, either actively or passively through negligence. So... Wives, that proverb tells you one thing. You're either building up or tearing down your home. You're either building up or tearing down your house. You're either building up or tearing down your husband and your children and your home. So God's wisdom for you is to embrace and apply his wisdom in this area in your dignified role as a wife, so that you may honor God and adorn with good works the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to all the ladies, I mean, whether you're young or old, married or not, the general point of application is that just by the grace of God and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you would aspire to imitate the qualities of feminine excellence laid out in Proverbs 31. She's the image that you should be striving to imitate, not the one projected or shoved in your face by the culture and media, the secular world. This is the image that is worthy of imitation that you should strive for. And husbands, I will leave the final charge with you. I want to ask you some questions. Are you encouraging your wife to grow in godliness by means of your leadership and example? Are you encouraging her towards this? I mean, granted, we see in Scripture we have exhortations and commands. It's like, you're commanded to do this. Are you doing it? (laughs) That's your part. I mean, you know, I mean, are you helping her? Are you encouraging her to move towards and grow in godliness by means of your leadership and example? Or are you a stumbling block? Do you openly talk with her about spiritual matters and about how you can be applying God's word to your everyday lives? Do you dialogue with her about that? You know, share your soul. What's on your mind? Not right before bedtime, but, you know, at an opportune time. Do you remind her of the truths of Scripture? Do you help her out with that? Are you a godly influence on her? And do you help her fix her eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the one who intercedes for us, the one who gives us the strength we need to honor him with our lives? Do you remind her? Do you encourage her to fix her eyes on Christ? Know that she's not perfect and neither of you, obviously. You're both sinners in need of grace. Your work's in progress, but God is sanctifying you both. Be an instrument of sanctification in your marriage. A means by which God can sanctify your wife and wives. A means by which God can use you to sanctify your husband. 
So men, married men, direct and motivate your wife to embody true feminine excellence by loving her and leading her well. See that? So hopefully, if anything, what we've left ourselves with or been equipped with this morning is the wisdom of God concerning the kind of woman that we should praise, the qualities of a woman that reflect the likeness of God. Because guess what? When he created man in his image, God created them male and female. There is dignity in being a woman, and there is dignity in being a man. They both bear the likeness of God in different ways. And when they come together in marriage, what a glorious thing that is, together they glorify God and they reflect the likeness of him in a way that is unparalleled in this world. So let's apply wisdom in the home. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word and your instruction. We, we know that we are bombarded with, with worldly wisdom, with, with self-centered, corrupt thinking, uh, ways of living life, uh, goals and standards that are put before us as things to be celebrated or strived for, and yet you've You've broken through all that and shined light in the darkness and given us your word and your wisdom for our instruction that we might live lives that glorify you and that lead to our greatest joy and blessing as well. You know how life is to be lived. It is to be lived in, in humble, worshipful love in relationship to you. Help us to glorify you with our lives. Help our women to to rest in your grace and to, to rejoice and, and inspire to be like this image projected in Proverbs 31. And ultimately, Lord, to be like our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray also for our men that they, that they would aspire to imitate Christ and therefore encourage women to glorify God with their lives in the way you've called us to do. Help our husbands and wives honor you in their marriages and help our our people who have, have not come into marriage, Lord, to, to prepare themselves to enter into it in a way that will benefit them the most, in a way that's formed after your pattern and your example and your design. And Lord, I pray for your grace on all of us. We know that we live in a fallen world and sin has worked uh, its destruction in many ways in our lives. And sometimes we're left with consequences and even with our marriages and even with divorce but Lord, we know that we have grace upon grace that you bestow upon us in Jesus Christ and we have your kingdom to look forward to and all the things, all the evils in this world and injustices and the consequences of sin, they'll be wiped away, Lord. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for bearing that penalty we could never pay so that we might live for eternity in your kingdom, in your presence, in eternal joy. It's in your name we pray. Amen.